You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 178 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val, but more to the point, how are you? You don't sound well. (laughs) I'm actually okay, but I have... severe hay fever at the moment so I may sound a little bit different and um, uh, yeah so that's probably why I do sound like well not quite myself. (laughs) The mercury retrograde I blame on everything bits falling off things like the weather has been crazy Crazy. like all sorts of uh, accidents happening so I hope all the listeners I hope you're all okay there's like white weather everywhere yeah so we're Well, last week somebody said to me, you know, how are you at the beginning of the week? And I said, oh, I'm fine. But yesterday I felt like I was hit by a bus. And then two days later I was hit by a bus. Oh, my God. But, like, do you want to just – Expand on that, Val, so everyone just doesn't think. <laughs> um, I wasn't okay, a pedestrian. Right? Yes, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm fine. I wasn't a pedestrian. I was in my car, um, stationary, mind you, and then this stupid bus in Sydney coming in the opposite direction just decided to hit me, scraped the entire side of my car, and I was stuck. I was wedged in the car because I couldn't get out on the left-hand side because I was against an embankment. I've shown you the photos, Gina. Yes. And then I couldn't open my door on the right-hand side because there was a bus right next to me and uh yeah it wasn't the most pleasant experience but um it must have been the day for it because my colleague uh Hira her father that day was also in a car and was also hit by a bus and that another you know uh, Sydney bus um and that bus did not stop and it just kept on going Terrible, so the moral terrible. of the story is beware of Sydney buses. Yes. <laughs> Just be careful. Beware and, I of mean, Sydney buses. You know, this is not a podcast about traffic safety. We've got a really good <laughs> show about fail-proof portrait photography. That's but right. before we launch, I have to tell you, Val, about my big Mercury retrograde event that happened yes, here. Yes, So the other night um, I was up late and I was uh, recording. So I was actually recording the latest um, uh, tutorial for the goal community, right? So I was like, I was so into it. And when I record, Val, I have um, headphones there. uh, What are they called? The ones that block out all the noise. You can't hear a thing. Noise cancelling headphones. That's it. So it's yeah. they're beautiful. They're like, yeah. and you can't. They're great on planes too. So I can't yeah. hear anything that's going on. I'm just in my own little world, right? Yes. And um, my dog Gary is barking and barking 
and barking. And so meanwhile, it's pitch black in the house. I don't turn any lights on. I'm just here in my own little world. And he's barking and barking and barking. And he's been fed. He's been walked. And I didn't understand why he was barking. And I'm just like, listen, I'm recording. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> and then he, he, he kept barking and he wouldn't let it go. So I took my headphones off. Like, I couldn't hear him. But he could, like when he's barking at me, he's like scratching at my legs to try and yes. get my attention. And so I took my headphones off and all I could hear was like this um, sound and a Uh clicking. And I'm like, what's that? And so I'm like, (laughs) I ignored it, put my headphones back on and he wouldn't stop barking. So I'm like, took my headphones off and like, I better go and investigate. And I go down um, out of the office, down the corridor and uh, in the corridor plugged into the ceiling is a smoke alarm and it's not one mm-hmm. of those battery ones but it's actually wired into the electrics of the home. Do you have one of those? Yes. Right. Uh, I guess so. There's two kinds. There's ones that are wired into the electrics and there's the ones that you just use by battery. This this uh, is yes. the, the high-tech one wired okay. into the- Valerie, the smoke alarm's on fire. Oh! Sorry, you don't need to laugh. I know. Irony, right? The smoke alarm is on fire. So get it's pitch black in the house. It's pitch black. You can't see anything. The flames, so it's in the ceiling and they're quite high, the ceilings. The, the, the flames are about, um, I, I'd say, uh, 40 centimetres long. Like, what's that, in inches? I don't know, long. Uh, uh, um, it's 13 <laughs> inches. A foot. Yeah, it's about long, uh, so, right? Flames. Yeah. Oh, a no, blue, about 14, 14, flame. 14, no, actually, 15, 15 inches. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They're long flames, long. like sparks and, and, and smoke and flames are coming out of my smoke alarm. Oh, and my like, God. Okay, so this is the thing that's supposed to save me is oh. on fire. And the force oh. of the flames and the um, the fire actually melted the entire smoke alarm. So the plastic <laughs> case and everything and the surrounding area was all like charred from the flames. Oh, no. And then because I didn't have any lights on in the house, I, I wasn't sure, and, and uh, the the line for the lights is separate to the line to the, the power in the house. Mm-hmm. Um but the actual the um, safety switch tripped and uh, that line that the smoke alarm was on had turned itself off as well. Oh. So eventually the flame stopped <laughs> and the electrician came the next morning. He's like, oh, I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> this is the thing. He took a photo. I think they have a website like, you know, check this out. Um, drama of the week. He's like, yeah, this will yeah. be a good one. The guys are going to love this. <laughs> so he worked out that he possibly thinks that a possum. Oh, those possums. Had sat on the actual point of the contact and oh. weed on the smoke alarm. Oh. Probably, yeah, and shorted the whole system. You really got a possum issue. Oh, we know we have a possum issue, yeah, but it's like, yeah. again, it, it, it's the, oh, it's, yeah. So that was my week. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. That's, that's, 
yeah, weird stuff has been happening this week. A lot of weird stuff has been happening. So, again, I hope everyone listening is um, yeah. safe and well and, I guess, take it easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like your house is like that house from Stranger Things. Or on no, Netflix. don't say that, Val. Okay, no, no, it's not. It's a really nice house. I'm scared. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great house. I like your house. It's beautiful. <laughs> but there are a lot of creatures that I, I share with. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. Okay, it should be a Disney movie. There you go. Your house is a Disney movie. Oh, that's a bit nicer. <laughs> well, let's move on then to our podcast for this week. We do hope everyone is safe and sound. <laughs> we want to give a big shout-out to Green Dude 8888. That's what Green Dude 8888 has called, I'm thinking, himself. Um, and uh, it's called Uplifting, Insightful and Encouraging. Because a female it is version a of Green, Green Dude, Dude Is that the female version of dude is dudette? Well, it is in my language. I think it is. I would say it is dudette. Hey, dudette. Yeah, dudette. Dude. Hey, dude. That's true. You say dude. No, I I say dude to anyone, really. It is. So So uh, we're not sure if you're – yeah, we're not sure. So let's yes. So anyway, Green Dude eight 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 has kindly left us a review on iTunes and has said, "This podcast is like having two best friends in your pocket, explaining all of the ins and outs of how to improve your photography from all angles. Between making me laugh out loud and dispensing advice that gets to the heart of my burning questions, they provide consistent and targeted messages of encouragement and positivity. So much of what Gina and Valerie discuss touches not just on improving both." Tech- technical and business skills, but on how to be kind to yourself in this journey and dig deep. The dig deeper to challenge yourself and overcome insecurity and fear. Oh, it did this is Dudette because Dudette. then she says I am a mother to three wonderful children and want to use my photography to someday start a non-profit. Oh that's so cool. I was a social worker for 10 years and continue to look for ways to blend my love of photography with helping others. I'm inspired by Gina and Valerie to pursue my goals and to form connections within my community to see how I can have a positive impact. Um, as a side note, you guys are seriously hilarious. I typically listen on my daily run in the woods. I love that she's running in the woods. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I can live vicariously through Green Dudette because I'm not running lately. Um she continues and will someday be sending you a bill for my injuries when I inevitably trip and fall whilst laughing out loud. Uh, laughing out loud. The dynamic friendship you share is so much fun. Thanks for letting us be a part of it. My only complaint is that I wish the episodes were longer. Keep up the good work. Oh, wow. I love that I'm going running in the woods with Green Judette. That's that's like. Dude. Yeah. You know, I even hired a treadmill just for like a couple of months. I saw and it. The, yes, you saw it. And the most use it has is my cat Rex sitting on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to live vicariously through Green Judette. Thank it's you so much. It's not the same. Running on a treadmill as running on the – you use different muscles and uh, it's not the same. I know it's not the same, same, but I've got like, you know, rogue buses down my street. You live on the beach. You can run to the beach, run along the beach and then run back, Val. You've got hills. You've got the – you just put the Rocky theme song on (laughs) and off you go. 
Yes, it's true. Rock, it's like the, the Amalfi Coast song. where you live. You've got like all those beautiful hills and the views. You, you, you get, get, just, you know, Nike. I know. I've got to step outside once in a while. I really, I think you should. It's lovely. <laughs> Honestly. You know, I have you to blame last night because you because I Gina came to stay with me recently and so naturally I bought her a jar of Nutella. Thank and you for that. I she when we had some Nutella, but, but she refused to take it home because she thinks she should eat too much Nutella. But last time she ate the entire jar right in front of me. That's why yeah. I thought. Anyway, so because the jar is still here, I had Nutella and ice cream last night. I don't um, even know why I just told you that story. <laughs> here's pathetic for you. Um, okay. So the other night I wanted Nutella and it was like it was after one right in the morning in the and it was morning. like there was, yeah there was nowhere open to get Nutella and I really wanted <laughs> Nutella. See so, you should have brought the Nutella with you. But this is what I did because <laughs> oh, it was God. like I needed squishy chocolate. So yes. I had a box of um, chocolate cake, you know, the cake mix. Oh, yes, the cake mix. <laughs> this is gross. Go on, made, tell me. I made the batter. But I didn't yes. make the cake. I just ate the batter. <laughs> <laughs> Is that bad? No, that's and so be, like six to years old. To be fair, I, like, I, I wasn't I, – I didn't make the entire box. I only made <laughs> half the box because I thought that's like ridiculous if I do that. So I'll just be – I'll just make a little bit. But I ate the half. <laughs> All of it. And, yeah, the next night. Oh, you I ate the it. other half. It, you. Oh it's my god! Nice. Oh, it's gross. Is that gross? No. And listeners, this is like... not this is not confessions of a serial binger. <laughs> this is actually <laughs> a podcast on photography. Um, but yeah, but it's all related, Val. This is all of a part it's of all the related. human journey. What makes us human is what makes us great photographers. <laughs> of course. So let's move on to a listener question. This is from Kenneth Kalinsky, and. And Kenneth has asked a question in the podcast group on Facebook. Now, if you're not a member of the podcast community on Facebook, make sure you join. It's free to join. All you need to do is search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. So many fantastic people from all over the world at different levels and stages of their journey in photography. And it's so great to, to see all of your work. Now, and Kenneth has asked, this is the age-old question, Canon or Nikon? My wife was at a complete loss when she decided she wanted to gift me a DSLR for Christmas, so she told me in an effort to figure out which direction to go. I have looked at countless articles online and both cameras are clearly great and when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, it almost seems like a personal preference. Now, I've been shooting film for years and have had various cameras, but one of my, my most used SLRs is a Canon. It would seem obvious to stick with what I've been using, but I know a lot of changes are, are going, you know, happen from analog to digital. Any advice appreciated. I plan to shoot outdoors almost exclusively and to use video functions. As far as lenses go, I know at some point I'd like some wide angles and telephotos. Right. Wow. Okay. This is this is good. Canon or Nikon? That's um. 
yeah, that's like, you know, Mac or PC or, mm. you know, Nutella or Lint or, you know. <laughs> Nutella or straight out of Wheat the Bix. box. Yeah, Wheat Bix or Cocoa Pops. <laughs> so oh, That's like chalk and cheese, Wheat Bix or Cocoa Pops, two completely different. All right, you know. Camembert or Brie. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, that's that. one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, or as I would put it, uh, Nike or Adidas or Nike oh, or Adidas. Yes. Or, yes but there's also yes. it's not just Canon and Nikon these days. There's also Minolta, Sony, Pentax, Olympus, yes. Mamiya, all great brands. And if you're looking, if you're trying to compare the difference, it's like trying to compare like Nike, Adidas, Vans, Docs, Louboutins. Converse, <laughs> it all comes down to what if you went to buy sneakers, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you go to buy a pair of uh, uh, Adidas and you come back with Louboutins. <laughs> it's kind of like you're not going to be <laughs> jogging very far, really. No. You got a no. pair of those in your wardrobe, Val? Louboutins, Christian yeah. Louboutins. No, no, I do not. No. I can't bring myself to spend that kind of money on shoes. Mm. I don't think. Mm. And I don't buy Nike either because they really hurt my feet. Well, so the thing is, like all the brands that – they will fit you like the way that the cut of the shoe is, it is designed for a certain foot. So you'll find that you ha- there is a brand of shoe that you put them on and they fit like a glove, right? Yes, yes. And you just go, well, these are my shoe. These were made for me. And it's like whether the, the maker, when they made them, they designed them for your particular foot. They just You just know as soon as you put them on. Yeah, they're the shoe for you. You know, I, I felt like that when I wore Doc Martens as a um, a twenty something Val. Yes, and you know, you were in your Prada sling black backs. I was <laughs> yes. in my Doc Martens, and that was the difference. You were happy with your shoes. I was very happy with mine. The same goes with a camera. It's it's not a matter of well, which camera takes the better photos because they don't as a camera they don't it's you the person behind the camera that's actually taking the photo and what's the most important thing to consider is how does that camera fit for you now I recently um, experimented with some other cameras and to be honest, it's like when I pick them up and try them out, there are things like even the difference between where the, the like a lot of cameras now have a joystick uh, where your thumb is that you can oh, yeah. move that joystick around and it has all these different functions. You can move the focus point. You can then move your thumb to change the uh, f-stop or uh, shutter speed or focus point or the style of metering or within the thumb or the, the finger, right? But mm-hmm. – the, the the distance and the ergonomics and the way the grip feels in your hand and even the size of the camera. So like if you're um, a, a big guy with big hands, there's certainly like newer cameras are really tiny and the buttons are really fiddly. They're going to feel the camera itself is not going to feel substantial enough in your hands and you're going to really struggle to use it. So I think that's what needs to be looked at. And even it comes down to how the different camera manufacturers design their menu systems. So some menu yeah. systems, like the way 
And it comes down to how your brain works. Like you might look at a certain menu system and it's just like to you, it feels, it's so intuitive. Of course, I'd look for the, the you know, to change my metering mode, I'd go to that button. Duh, it's obvious. But like someone else might pick up that camera. And it's, it's like that day you told me, I came to your house, Val, and I said, what's your Wi-Fi password? <laughs> said something to me have you changed it yet no so you better not say right okay you said something to me that was so perfectly obvious as a sentence as to what the answer to the question was that I interpreted this um this clue at, to your Wi-Fi so literally that I didn't say so, so I gave Dina left me the house and then went away somewhere and I was left there for three days on my own or something. I, three days bomb. later I asked you and you said you hadn't connected the Wi-Fi yet because, yeah, I answered Gina in a sentence that gave her an indication of what the Wi-Fi password was but she thought I she thought my password was the entire sentence. No, literally. I made a literal interpretation of what you said. And that is that like you, your brain work, and we often get called out on the, stuck on this, you know, when we're trying to communicate with each other. And now you're clever enough, Val, to go, did you mean, (laughs) when you said this, did you mean this? And I'm like, no, I meant this. <laughs> right. Yes. So it's the way a brain works is also going to influence whether the the camera's menu system is going to be suited to you as well. So when you're looking mm. at a new camera, I suggest that you go to a camera store, like a brick and mortar store, and get your hands on the different cameras and try them out and see how they feel. And you will know, you will know when you find the one. You'll know. Yes, yes, definitely. I would like to, uh, I agree with all of those things. Just one thing, if because you've said that you plan to use the video functions. Now, I'm not sure what you're going to use the video functions for, but you you say, I plan to shoot outdoors almost exclusively and to use the video functions. So I'm assuming you're using the video functions outdoors. Now, if you're outdoors, um, if you're shooting a landscape, fine, this is probably a moot point. But if you're shooting anything that's moving like a horse you know, that's moving or animals or someone walking towards the camera or a bride walking to the camera or something. Something just to be aware of is whether the camera has autofocus on video because mm-hmm. that can be a real pain if you are wanting to concentrate on other things and not and, and if the the subject that you're shooting is moving and your camera doesn't autofocus on that subject in the video function that could be um, quite a pain. So make sure you check that if that's important to you. And the flip screens can also be helpful in in some situations. People like those, if they're doing a lot of filming of themselves, they can flip the screen around so that they can see what they're doing. And then Obviously, you also want to go think about what you're using the camera for as an end result. Are you going to be just taking the camera to church every Sunday and or book club and doing a couple of photos, or are you going to be out there every day climbing Mount Kilimanjaro? Have you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro yet, Val? No. Why would All I right. want to? I just like to, you know, I like to ask now because, you know, you never know with you, uh, <laughs> and you're going to be out in sub-zero 
zero or you know sub hundred temperatures, and you need a rugged, you know, heavy duty pro camera. If you're yeah. filming, do you want 4K video or you know is a, a lower res going to suit you? So you look into the specs as well as comfort and functionality. Yep, definitely. Um, so if obviously, Kenneth, if you were looking for the definitive answer, we did not give you one. But Louboutins, I would su- docks, Converse, <laughs> Adidas, Nike. But, but since you are used to shooting Canon, why don't you go into the store, muck around with a uh, DSLR and obviously try the Nikon as well. And I think you will instantly get a feel for whether the icons and the the functions are intuitive or not. And uh, it'll, it should be easy for you to make your mind up in terms of you just, you know, user interface, so to speak, because and, and, as far as the yeah. cameras themselves go, they, they do, they'll, they do the same thing. So, so with Canon and Nikon, the difference really a bee's pippy difference between the two <laughs> brands. If you're not clear what a bee's go pippy for it, Val. You now define that. <laughs> you can tell it's close to Christmas, can't you? <laughs> if you're not clear what a bee's pippy is, that's the technical term for a bee's. You know, <laughs> in other words, there's not much. Uh, there's not much difference. All right. What? So we're going to move the what? Depends on the bee. Yes, depends on the bee. That is so true. Not all bees are created equal. (laughs) Um, All right. So let us move on to this week's topic, which is fail-proof portrait photography. I like this because there are so many of our listeners who do portraits, which is evidenced by some of the fantastic portraits that come through in the podcast group and also in the God community. So fail-proof portrait portrait photography where would you start on this one Gina uh you start with a quote Val oh my god yeah okay and um (laughs) not just any quote Val no start with a quote from the legendary Kenny Rogers okay (laughs) so you've got to know when to hold them know when (laughs) to fold them know when to walk away and know when to run you never count your money when you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. Now, every gambler knows that the secret to surviving is knowing what to throw away and knowing what to keep because every hand's a winner and every hand's a loser. Or, Val, my other favourite quote on this subject. Okay. From the legendary Dirty Harry. Oh, Yes is do you feel lucky, punk? <laughs> well, do you? <laughs> they seem like quite different quotes, so I'm not entirely sure what the connection is. So basically it's not t- – there are times in photography, in portrait photography, when you should be out there taking risks right, and risking and experimenting. And it's really important to uh, develop your style and try new things and try different lighting techniques and really push uh, the the techniques that you do and and take lots of risks, right? But there's also times when you need to take the safe route and deliver the shot, 
rather than taking a risk. And you need to know the difference between when to hold them and when to fold them. Okay. <laughs> so you want to know what at what times when you're doing a portrait shoot should be you going, well, this is a really good time to bring in 15 lights, the baby elephant, all my reflectors, <laughs> and really go for it in this and create something amazing, cue beautiful music, right? And then, <laughs> and then there is other times when it is – you would love to bring in all the tricks and whistles into this shot, but it's about getting the shot and delivering something to your client because it's so risky that you may stuff it up completely. Okay. So, right. so will we be discussing when to do yes. what? So <laughs> I believe that like very, very early on as you're just starting out and the, and the, a lot of newbie photographers, and I was one of them, it's like when I was starting out and I was asked to do a shoot, it felt like because I was new to it all, I felt like that if I didn't bring in 20 lights, the reflector, the baby elephant, the all the bells and whistles, I wasn't being professional enough. It, I wasn't giving my client enough and I needed to be overly fancy in all the shots. And often once you start bringing in all these different variables, too many lights, too many reflectors, really difficult um, poses and backgrounds and a high degree of difficulty in terms of shallow depth of field, all of those combined with the fact that you're still quite inexperienced meant that I may have missed the shot or I was overly fancy and because I did too much in the shot, I didn't actually get what I wanted to in the first place and simplifying the whole thing, I would have got a, a much better shot. So, yeah. you know, th this is what I want to talk about and I want to make sure that like when you set out to – and you notice that as a photographer – becomes more and more experienced and the more shoots that they've done, the more years they've got under their belt, they actually go the other way. Their, their, their shooting style becomes even more simple than when they started. So it might be that they, they do finally learn how to manipulate natural light or it might be that one light gets used and it's just used really subtly and, you know, same with the post-production. So that, that's a sign of having more experience. But for those starting out, it's just thinking about making sure that you absolutely nail the shot every time and I've got some techniques to make sure that um, they do that. Great. Okay. So where do we start on those techniques? Right. So these are the common things that everyone gets asked when you're starting out. The first thing people will do is like, oh, you, you, you're out there excitingly telling people that oh, I'm a photographer and they're like, great. Can you do my, uh, next headshot or my profile pic and you're like great and so and, and I see this a lot a lot of questions about this uh, both in the gold community and in the podcast community is, is that okay so I'm doing a headshot of someone and I'm planning so should I use four lights a reflector <laughs> a backdrop colored gels right that's the fancy schmancy thinking way of doing yes. it where it needs to be over complicated now if you're not competent at dealing with 
lights, even understanding how daylight works, adding four yeah. lights is not going to give you a, a better result. It's going to give you, uh, it may compromise the result you get in the end. So I think that's making, and then adding gels as well to the background and warming it up and doing all these things. When you're already under pressure and feeling nervous at, at, the, at being able to deliver a good headshot, and also there's the things that you're trying to think of all these, um, all the settings of the lights and the camera, and you'll forget that uh, there's a person in front of you that you also need to pose and direct as direct, well. So there's yeah. just all those elements, too many moving parts. So I recommend the Nike approach. Which is the just fail do proof. it? <laughs> yeah, but just do it. So you mean without all that stuff? Without all that stuff. So I would recommend if someone asked me as a newbie photographer, "Will you take my portrait?" Yes, I would look for garage lighting. Now you're an expert at garage lighting, Val. So I'm going to get you to describe <laughs> what garage lighting is because you do it so well. <laughs> I love garage lighting. Every, ever since Gina taught me about garage lighting, it is, oh, that's how I take my photos. Um, so garage lighting is basically where, and it's, well, it's called garage lighting because if you imagine yourself standing at the uh, opening of your garage, like where the door is for your garage, and you are in the shaded bit, the undercover bit, but but in front of you, because the door is open, is the concrete or asphalt or whatever you want to call it, and the sun bounces onto that concrete and asphalt and reflects effectively on your face because you're in the uh, the shaded bit, and that is the most beautiful lighting ever. <laughs> of course, you don't need to be standing in a garage, so you could be simply underneath um, underneath an umbrella and that's the shaded bit, but the light could be bouncing on sand that then reflects onto you. Or you could be standing under a tree and the light could be bouncing on, you know, the grass or the whatever ground and, and reflecting back on you. It could be any number of places. I often do this in, outside my office where there's kind of like a terrace and I stand in the shaded bit and the light or the sun bounces onto the um, tiles basically uh, underneath me and, and reflects back on me. But it's a great place to to shoot your portraits because it's just really lovely lighting right well done Val that was excellent <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> so you. the um it's soft lighting Val so what what that that gives you is the kind of lighting where um what what you want to do if you want to ca uh, capture a flattering portrait of someone is give them soft lighting and when soft lighting hits someone's face it's it's soft and it goes into um every little detail and flattens everything out so you're not going to give you uh, a lot of shadows there's nowhere for shadow to hide so if you look um if you put your hand outside in say uh hard sunlight and uh just maybe uh make a cup with your hand and let the sunlight hit that you'll see that all the wrinkles in your hand will be filled in with shadow and the high, the, there'll be high contrast in that lining and that's what ages people and uh, it's it's not as flattering. But when you've got soft, beautiful light like garage lighting or you might be inside and you might have sunlight, uh, light flooding in behind in, through windows behind you uh, onto someone's face, that's also very soft lighting. So it's 
perfect for working with portraits. So that means you're not having to worry about shadows on someone's face. So it's easy to work with that lighting. It's flat, it's flattering, and you don't have to contend with shadows, which means that you take that out of the equation and you can focus on pose and vibe of the shot, like the, like editing uh directing and posing your model the other thing that you can do seriously if you have not tried garage lighting yet you see i understood garage lighting intellectually because gina had explained it to me but it wasn't until i tried it for myself that it was that i realized oh my god this is just so much better than other kind of lighting so it's, give it a go make a point to give it a go yeah look for an awning or a garage and and have a go it'll blow because it looks not only does it look beautiful, but people don't realize that it's not shot within a studio. It looks like studio lighting. That's what yep. I love about this sort of style. Looks if great. you wanted to take this to the next level and fail-proof this kind of lighting, you, you can work in open shade, which are all those scenarios that you just uh, recommended, Val, under an awning, under an umbrella, same sort of thing. And you can use a, uh, a reflector as well to bounce some light in and keep it that simple. If you wanted to add a light, then add one light with a soft light modifier and if you were starting out I would use something like an umbrella an umbrella is as a modifier is probably the closest to daylight that you'll get because the umbrella will spread the light very evenly and softly if you needed some sort of uh, fill flash in that shot or an umbrella box or um, next level is a soft box but you want to be avoiding hard light reflectors that cause shadows and adding any extra degree of difficulty in that shot. So simple, simple setup will give you a studio look, high-end, beautiful shot that people will love without all the fiddly bits. You don't need them. Yeah, definitely. So definitely give it a go. And if, for example, you're in a situation where you have a garage, but your the ground where the sun hits is actually black, or you know you've got dark concrete or a dark driveway, um, Gina gave me this great tip because that happened to me once. Gina gave me this great tip: just put white towels onto the onto the yeah. ground, and that or a will white sheet. Re- reflect. Yeah. yeah, a white so sheet. You, yeah, you can easily you know carry a, a white sheet in your kit. And it can be like, don't do what my children have done in the past and taken the best ones. <laughs> Where are my sheets? Oh, we took them to the beach because you said to use them as re- yeah, I'm like, but you took my good ones. You can get like polyester ones, which are work just as fine. The other thing to bear in mind when you're shooting this, if you want to make it absolutely fail proof, and this are like I, the most common issue I see with uh, people doing their first headshot shoot is the focus. And, and the reason for that is when they're starting out, they see all those lovely shots with the beautiful um, out of focus backgrounds and they hear about shooting wide open. And so they've got like maybe a fixed focal length lens or their, their new 
24 to 105 and they're shooting wide open and they miss the focus. And so what I recommend is when you're first starting out and doing a headshot, first time, back yourself, make it a bit safer, shoot it around F5.6. And 5.6 on a long lens, so say you're shooting at 100 or you've got something like a, a longer focal length, is still going to throw your background out of focus. So it'll still be a, a good-looking background, but you, you are less likely to miss the focus on the eyes just in case you say you, you you focus on an eyelash or to the side of the eye rather than dead on the eyes you'll still have uh, sharp eyes yeah shooting at f5.6 so always make sure you um, focus on the eyes you want to shoot yeah. on a longer lens it's going to give you a better looking shot to be safe i recommend shooting to tripod i still recommend shooting to tripod it gives you um it frees up your hand to work with your model to be able to take lint off their shoulder direct them with your hands the camera is always going to be in the same spot you're less likely to you know tip the camera on an angle or miss things so that just keeps things safe. Take your time. That's the big one where people just feel like they have to rush through everything or they shouldn't hold people up. Take a breath. Take your time. Really spend yeah. the time to work with the model. Try and keep the eyes in the top third of the frame. And here's a big one. Don't be afraid to stop the shoot after a couple of frames and say to your model, I'm just going to check the image is sharp. I think a lot of people are afraid to do that because in saying that out loud, it makes you look incompetent. But yeah. what's more incompetent, saying, I'm just going to check my sharpness now or having to call up or email the person you photograph and said, um, the shots aren't sharp. Yeah. You know, so I say it all the time at this level. Yeah, excuse me, Prime Minister, can you just stand there and wait? I'm just checking sharpness. It's no big deal. All or everyone does it. You know, the big motion picture cinematographers like that they're checking sharpness. It's so important to do so and check check your exposure. Just checking that those are okay. We'll make sure everything's good and then we're going ahead. All right, everything looks great. Let's go for it, all right? And the final one is make sure that this is not the time when you're starting out, when you're a newbie, that you want to be busting out that pose you saw in Vogue or oh, the Vanity Fair. I and know. Like, it's great. Please, but when you see something and you, you, you know you'll look at it and you if you love it, then find a way to store that. Like you either, you know, add it to your Pinterest or, you know, if it's your magazine, then take it out of the magazine and put it on your wall so you're looking at it all the time. Nothing wrong with that. But it's just if it's a more complicated pose, if you're inexperienced directing and posing people and you try and force this pose that you can't even do yourself onto someone who's already nervous mm. being in front of the camera – it can be a disaster. I think from my experience, about one in 10 people are just naturally good at posing. They just are. They just got a way that they carry themselves. You can show them once and they just go into it and it's beautiful. The rest of us take 
a bit of more sort of coaching to, to get us into a, a good pose. So, you know, I think you're setting yourself up for, you know, it won't necessarily be fa- failure, but frustration on both parties if you're choosing those uh, poses that are a bit out there. So just stick to simple, authentic poses, straight down the barrel, look at me, push your face forward a little bit, and then work on that connection where you get them to get out of their head, looking at you and smiling. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And, of course, in Gina's course, uh, How to Direct and Pose Like a Pro, Gina goes into great detail about how to connect with your subject and to um, make sure that they are doing things naturally and to make sure that in their face their expression is the thing that really comes through because that makes all the difference. And if you want to check out that course, then um, then go to Gina's website, GinaMilitia.com. That's M-I-L-I-C-I-A. Okay, go on, Gina. So the next one, I think that the most common scenario that you'll get asked if you're starting out or like even if you're a professional photographer, the large group shot, okay? So it's like, wow, can you do, you know, all the 30 partners uh, of, of the <laughs> law firm or the, the big family, extended family, can you do a group shot? It's a very common scenario for photographers to have to photograph this sort of situation. Okay, so you've got the fancy schmancy don't you love that word fancy schmancy yeah it's great i like it yeah fancy schmancy uh way which is okay so i've seen all the movie posters (laughs) i want to make it look like everyone's got that beautiful lighting where you know you've got the spotlight on the face and the beautiful fall off or it's moody it goes across the face so i want really complicated lighting i'm going to shoot it maybe as a composite i'm going to have an extravagant background so i'm thinking all right why don't we do it at sunset on the edge of a boat as <laughs> Haley's comet is passing through. So there's a window of 30 seconds yeah. once every 76 years where this is yeah. possible. So we just plan for that. Like, you know, really put yourself under pressure to, yes. to get that extravagant background with the mood lighting or you're going mm-hmm. to have uh, windows in the background or, again, you've been looking at Vogue, Vanity Fair, <laughs> name, insert name of your favourite uh you know, magazine here and it's like, well, let's have them all leaping in the air or dancing so that it looks like their their jackets are coming off or these really yeah. elaborate sort of poses. That's the fancy schmancy way. And Ooh. if you've been shooting for a long time and if the uh, 30 uh, lawyers that you're photographing say, we've got two days to do this shoot. So we're going to come in for pre-lighting tests. We're going to do wardrobe tests. We're going to do another lighting test. And then we'll give you the rest of the day to test your lighting and shoot this. Knock yourself out. Go down that route. But the reality is 30 partners in a law firm or 30 of your closest family members are going to give you three minutes before they all lose it and everyone starts arguing. (laughs) (laughs) which is like a normal day when the family get together. So you don't have long. So, again, you want to use the Nike protocol, which is to keep it really simple, shoot fast, and make sure you nail the shot. So I recommend you shoot this in daylight 
and you yep. look for clean open shade. And when I say clean open shade, you want to find an area that is shaded and that is not under a canopy of trees because that to the naked eye may look like clean open shade but it's actually going to be dappled light and so once that gets you get get back to your office and have a look at the shot on a large screen you notice that everyone's got these like spots of sunlight on their face so not ideal so you want to be somewhere where you've got Either the sun's gone down and there is no sunlight or you've got an area that is, uh, you know, an open plan area where it's uh, shaded. So that might be like a, a large awning or a carport or, or you know, something like that. Or underground or a large gara, a gazebo as well. So that sort of area where you have clean open shade the other thing you want to think about is again you want to work with the first thought a lot of people have when they're working with large groups is i'll need to use my wide angle lens so i can get everyone in but and then i'll work really closely to the group the problem with that is if you're shooting with a wide angle lens and you're very close to the group the wide angle lens is going to distort the shot so that the everyone who is closest to the group is going to look really big and yeah. the people at the back of the group pinheads. <laughs> so Great. it's not good. So the girls at the front are going to look bigger than the guys at the back. The lawyers are not going to be happy and they're dealing with lawyers. So that's a worry, don't you think? So yes. stick to a focal length like at, at the minimum around 50 millimetres. I like to shoot my groups a little bit longer, even if that means I'm back a little bit away from the group. And if the space allows it, then somewhere between 50 and 70 millimetres I think is ideal. A focal length of 50 to 70 is ideal for a group shot. The other thing you want to do is make sure, like there's – I don't know if it's just a like it's a default, but like when you get a group of people together, the first thing they do is huddle and – sort of um, scooch in really tight because they're used to their own cameras and when they're doing group shots, they're not not used to being able to spread out. They don't understand how wide your lens is. So they tend to all be on top of each other. So the first thing you want to do is just go spread out, guys, and you want them Mm. spread out. You want a little bit of space. It doesn't need to be a lot, but you don't want them all on top of each other. Or the other thing is they tend to bend in towards you so that they're making sure that they're in the shot. So get everyone to spread out. Focal length for safety when you're doing big group shots is uh, F8 to around F11. And that's going to be safe because if you start to go a little bit shallower in your depth of field than F8, there is a chance, depending on the the space between the person that's closest to the camera to the one that's at the back of the group, how deep that area is, that the person at the back of the group might be uh, slightly out of focus. So you want to make sure that you've got uh, enough of depth of field to make sure that everyone's sharp all the way through. So the the way you nail this, fail-proof, is to stick to about F8 to F11 to to get that right. Okay. If you're using – if you have to use light in these situations, the way to make sure – it's if you've got three minutes to do the big group, again, this is not the time to be worrying about – 
complicated lighting or trying to get the mood lighting on everyone because you don't have time. You want to go with the simplest technique and that is to use something like a large umbrella or a large octa box which is going to spread a lot of light evenly on the on the over the group. If you are a bit more sophisticated in your lighting, you can try and work so that you do get a bit of modeling in the lighting so you might have the light all the lights coming from one side. If you are haven't done a lot of this before, I suggest you sort of balance it out uh, school photo style and have both two two big umbrellas, one on either side of the group, backed up a little bit, not close in, but you want to have the lights back a little bit so that the spread of the light is even across the entire group. And doing that, two umbrellas, before the group get in there, you get a like a round up a few people. If it's a venue, just get the waiters and waitresses or whatever to do a test shot for you and make sure that your lighting's evenly even. Make sure your camera's on a tripod. And then the other one is make sure you get a minimum of 10 frames, not just one. Okay, everybody, click. Okay, thanks. You've been a great yeah, audience. Yeah, that's bad. That's bad. Now, group shots can often be very stilted or very cardboardy, or, you know, just everyone kind of just grouped in and there's no personality because there's a bunch of people who want to have to want to be in the group shot and there's a bunch of people who really don't want to be there so there probably isn't enough time to cover it in this episode but also in that course that I was mentioning how to direct and pose like a pro um, which you'll find on Gina's website Gina goes through an entire uh, tutorial an entire section on really cool ways to place people and where to position them if you're doing a group shot. And I think that her group, I think Gina's group shots are are fantastic. A lot of people can't do it well, but Gina's definitely mastered the art of doing group shots because I've I've worked with Gina on lots of shoots where there are groups and I've also seen a lot of Gina's group shots on covers of magazines and in, in magazines. So, Yeah, there's some really good rules that you can follow um, in that course, which Gina uh, demonstrates in in um, in the in the video tutorials that are in that course. So the great thing is that with that course, everything is is on video. It's filmed, and you will see exactly Gina's explanation and how she shoots it, and uh, and the final shot of you know the, the the end result of what's actually been photographed. So yeah, check that course out. All right, uh, Gina. All right, thanks, Val. Uh, the the next one I think, which is common for it, it, like many people starting out, like you'll get asked to photograph children at some point or photograph your own children or nephews, nieces or the next door neighbor's kids. So tricky, the younger ones are very tricky to do. So like to make sure that you nail that shot, fail proof, what you want, bit, bit, bit different from the large group shot. You want to make sure that in this instance, because kids move around a lot, especially if you've got toddlers and you're going to miss the shot if you're trying to work with too long a lens. So I would give yourself space and work a little wider so you've got space to capture the kids as they're moving around, all right, and you want a fast shutter speed because uh, I think in this we, we should 
do children animals. <laughs> I think it applies to both. Uh, you could use wide lens, well, fast shutter speed. it's probably even a whole other episode, children and animals. Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, but fast <laughs> shutter speed to make sure that you freeze the action because, again, uh, the action happens very quickly. You want to increase your depth of field as well because shooting wide open if your reaction time isn't quick enough, like a child will do something so quickly that is amazing that if you, you're trying to shoot too shallow, you probably miss the focus. So you want to increase, uh, have a narrower depth of field to make sure that you nail the shot. It's all about nailing the shot. And with children, a quick shoot is a good shoot. So re- realistically, they give you about three minutes before they lose it and they're on the floor throwing a tantrum. So, you know, g- give yourself like three minutes and that's what happens. So make sure that you are organized, you know what your lighting is and you're giving yourself those wider parameters to make sure you nail the shot. And the other thing that I think really helps is to switch your camera onto burst mode so that, you know, when each time you fire, you're doing a series. So if, you know, suddenly little Johnny decides to do a backflip over the dog, (laughs) you get the shot. Great you're idea, not sitting there because you just click, you just did one, and then as he did his second backflip, you know. Yes, so, yeah. great idea. Yes. Yes, in fact, I should do that with my cat Rocky because my cat Rex, he will pose. He is the ultimate feline Zoolander. He will do blue steel and he will hold the pose and he knows when you're taking a shot. So I can get, you know, great shots of Rex because he actually poses. But Rocky is constantly moving, so the burst mode would be great for him. Yeah, so Rexy and I connected big time when I was yeah at your That's place good. the other day. Yeah, what'd yeah. you talk about? You missed it. What'd you, what'd you, you talk about? <laughs> <laughs> so we were hanging out and um, cool. he was like really smoochy, smoochiest he's ever been. Uh, did you feed him Nutella? I didn't give him Nutella, no, <laughs> but he, he was like just like on his back doing all these poses and He's so cute. Uh, yeah, they're all great. He's my baby. That was good. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Sorry we digress. Uh, so the final one is uh, that you might get asked to do uh, these the shooting an event at night. So it might be someone's party or a wedding or something else, like an a, a, yeah. you know an event and it's flash on camera. So yes. you want to make sure you nail that. You want to crank up your ISO and get it nice and high so that you, you can almost uh, shoot without flash is what I aim for. So if you're say you're shooting at a reception somewhere. Somewhere, uh, you want to shoot, crank up your ISO so that it, it is getting a reading of the room, and you could shoot without any flash. You could get an, a shot handheld, so you'd, you'd have a sort of a fast enough shutter speed, and to be able to do that, the flash is just to add a bit of a catch light in the eyes, and it's just enough flash to just clean up the skin tone. You don't want to be throwing in. Um, so much flash that it it just sort of uh, it looks fake and it kills the mood of the shot. The other thing I like to do with shutter speed is if I'm using a little bit of fill flash is I lower my shutter speed 
to pick up a bit of the ambient warmth in the room as well. So generally when I'm shooting events at night, I might be at maybe a, uh, a 60th of a second, a 60th or a 30th, and I'm handheld with a little pop of flash and I make sure that I dial my flash down so it's not at full power. It might be uh, a stop under or two-thirds under. It's just a matter of testing it around the room, but I think that combination, high ISO, slower shutter speed, fast lens, so you shoot wide open but focusing on the eyes gives you that lovely you capture the mood of the room and the flash and make sure you've got like a nice modifier soft modifier on your flash as well so that could be uh, the little Gary Fong that I've given a good uh, rap to this year probably the modifier of the year I would say or something like Mm. a little softbox over your flash and that'll give you a nice little dook of light into the face just cleans up the skin tone a little bit and that will give you beautiful event photography at night. Love it. Wow. And this episode has been jam-packed. So lots of really useful tips and ideas. Hope that you've got a lot out of it. Make sure that um, you let us know how you go when you apply it to your own portrait photography. But I love the fact that these tips uh, can be used anywhere and they really do make – it's It's fail-proof because one of the great things about um, keeping things simple and just doing it and without necessarily having to have every single bell and whistle is that you are reducing your chance of, you know, stuff ups or errors or whatever, and you can still get a fantastic and awesome portrait shot. So let us know how you go. We'd love to see your results. Post them in the Facebook group. Just search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community and um, request to join. For those of you who are in the gold community, make sure you post your photos in the gold community as well. I love checking them out. I think there's some incredible talent in the gold community. So many fantastic people from all over the world too. I love checking out shots of, you know, other parts of the world as well. Um, You can find out more about the gold community at GinaMilitia.com. In the meantime, Gina, apart from finding you at GinaMilitia.com, where can where, where else can people find you online? So you can find me. I'm in the goal community, Val. So like, if anyone wants to uh, seriously think about taking their photography to the next level, and you or you want to just take those photos that you've always, you know, had in your mind's eye but never quite got there, then um, have a check it out, the goal community. There's over like – I reckon there's up to uh, over 200 tutorials there. So that's all my posing hacks, all the lighting that I do. It's like – a lot of the tutorials, Val, are from start to finish. So the thought process and how I work out like, well, this is what I want my shot to look like. Here's where the lighting's going to go. These are the lights I'm going to use. I'm using this modifier because, and then it goes into bringing my models in, the the whole dialogue that happens between me and the model, how I direct and pose them. And then I take that image and take it through the entire post-production. So you see the the shoot from inception to final post-production. So um, I, I'd love, love to work with you guys. So check that out there. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and all across all social media at Gina Militia as well. 
Brilliant. You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and also in the God community and the Facebook group. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.